Including Seattle's best. Oh, oh. Sorry, I had to. Oh, see, no, no, I was also, I, I, I've never liked McDonald's. And then when I heard Chipotle owned McDonald's, I was like, you ruined it for me now. Like, now I don't enjoy Well, Chipotle. they started collaborating somehow. It was it was the other way around. I think McDonald's really bought into and invested in Chipotle. But I think they bought out. I think Chipotle really? finally bought out. Yeah, they've got a, there's a documentary called Inside Chipotle. That they talk oh, about interesting. That. Well, not only that, but just recently they reported that Chipotle doesn't buy beef from Texas anymore. They buy it from Australia now. What? Locally raised in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. So yeah. there's another reason for you not to like. Chipotle. Well, is it all beef locally raised somewhere? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's locally raised from the earth. Yeah. Yeah. Like oh, wow, thanks. local to us in the universe. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to eat kangaroo meat <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's sad. well you are listening to the Credo Covenant Fellowship where we seek to enter the cultural conversation from a Reformed Baptist perspective and sometimes we engage the culture from a Reformed Baptist perspective uh, today we're going to be uh, entering with uh, my co-host Billy Linhart hello I'm J.D. Warren uh, and with us this morning is Jason Delgado Howdy, y'all. All right. The owner of Confessing Baptist is with us. <laughs> no, not owner. <laughs> Was it like owner-operator for Chick-fil-A's? Well, owner-operator, yeah, yeah. barista, yeah. <laughs> roaster, uh, all-around, yeah. jack-of-all-trades. Right. Yeah. There is roasting, that's for sure. So. Yeah. But not in the coffee sense. Right. So, anyways, there should be more of that. Yes, there should be more of that. Well, now that you're doing it, y'all are doing it at nights now? Thursday nights, yeah. Probably not so much coffee at night. Yeah. No, it's sad. But it is nice to hear Javi. It is. It is. <laughs> Instead of sorry, Javi couldn't be with us today. Yeah. It's early. He's asleep. <laughs> uh, you never hear Patrick anymore. Yeah. Yeah. He'll probably show up every now and then, but... So you going to do more interviews? We hope. Okay. So we have some stuff planned in the pipeline, but cool. we'll see. Well, enough of confessing Baptist talk. <laughs> I think he's a culture now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about some uh, some different Reformed Baptist uh, subjects here. Um, we started on our last last podcast. There may be a lost podcast. Uh, we started on our last podcast talking about uh, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, mm. and uh, we we kind of talked about some of our history. Uh, with dystopias and science fiction and 
uh, the way we were thinking about the book as we were reading it this time as opposed to previous times. Today we're going to uh, cover chapters one through three, and we're going to talk about some of the, uh, the elements and, and themes that were coming up during those first three chapters. And as we said before, like Huxley just throws us straight into his brave new world. So what, what was your impression uh, of that? Uh, and I love this question. He kind of pushes you right into the deep end, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So what was your impression? I, uh, I, lo- I, I remember the first time I read it. I mean, it captures you. That's what I was saying last time. Like, I, I love the ethical questions that come up in your mind when you read it. I love the sci-fi about it. But just his writing is so good. He's just mm-hmm. he's an excellent writer. Like It grips yeah. you right away because he throws you into the most where it, it all happens. He throws you right into the center. You know, it starts off with beeps and cracks, and you can cut, uh, all these images just start coming in your mind of how this place, this uh, laboratory of the embryonic, whatever it is, you know, predestination center looks like. Yeah. Uh, it's He easily fills your mind with images, and I... I uh, Calls yeah, it a hatchery. It, yeah, the hatchery. Yeah, and it's great because it's usually dystopias or sci-fis they, they all start off with you know showing a picture of the stars and then a, a narrator comes and says well during this time blah 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 this situation's going on these guys are the good guys these guys are the bad guys now here we are but instead he just you're in the middle of it and as it's happening you get that plot line you 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 get the universe he explains the universe and the world to you in a very unorthodox way that's typical to sci-fis and stuff like that so that's why i i love it and in reading it again I still felt the same way. I was like, this is such a great way to, mm-hmm. you know, it's, yeah. it's not that Star Wars, you're like, oh, here's the intro, here's where we're yeah. at, you know, that kind of... Dun, da, da, yeah, dun. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or most sci-fis are on, so I loved it, loved it. Yeah. Yeah. What you, Billy? What were your... I, I almost feel like I'm watching a movie, especially the way that he splices oh, yeah. scenes together. He'll have, mm-hmm. like, different scenes where he'll have, like, five different scenes going on at the same time, and he'll just have you jumping from scene to scene yeah. to scene. Yeah. And it almost felt like, feels like he's doing camera shots. Yeah. yeah. You know, and he's, he's cutting you back and forth between these different scenes. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and that kind of accelerates the mood of the book. It gets you moving. It's, it's, dis, it's, it's jarring. It's discombobulating. You're like, wow, you know what? You know, the, yeah. it, it brings you out of your element. It's almost like you know somebody bringing up ominous mu- music right before something happens, or yeah, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm going to bring out a Hitchcock reference here, you know. But, uh, Psycho. Nobody had ever, nobody had ever shown a toilet on the big screen before, ever. And uh, just before the murder scene in the bathroom. Hopefully, I'm not spoiling this for anybody. <laughs> anyway, just before the murder it's scene. Been out, it's been out since like the 50s or oh, 60s, yeah. right? So yeah, <laughs> you haven't seen it. Too bad. <laughs> but uh, just before the murder scene in the bathroom, she she tears up a piece of paper and she throws it in the toilet and flushes it. And Hitchcock intentionally put that scene in there because he wanted people to feel a little uncomfortable and he knew that culturally because nobody had ever seen a toilet on the big, big screen before huh. it would make people feel really uncomfortable and and so it set the mood for what people were going to be doing and i think you know 
Huxley, if in, if nothing else, is a is a master at setting the mood. Oh yeah. You know, he, he starts you out by just like we said, just throwing you into the deep end, and yeah. you know you, you're you're just trying to like swim in this world that's just completely upside down. And for me, it, it was only in hindsight that that I realized how shocking it was. But the shocking thing wasn't so much what he writes. But how much I wasn't shocked by it whenever I read it. Yeah. You know, I should have been more shocked yeah. whenever I read it. And I think in his day, people would have been a lot more shocked than we are today. Yeah, that's Which, what I was going to bring up, is he wrote this in the early 30s. Yeah. And we're, we're here in 2014. We already know that there's uh, test tube babies. There's all kinds of uh, research and... Abortion uh, on demand. Abortion on demand. All, all, kind of, all similar elements in vitro fertilization I mean you know here they don't um, implant it in the womb here it's just it's in the bottle and they develop it straight from the test tube but in the 30s that was unheard of Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah definitely back then I'm sure it was even more shocking Mm -hmm. uh, to to the reader and something that I really enjoyed is yeah I I tried to find a, a book that was so influential now or so prophetic I should say I wanted to try to find some movies that tried to portray it. And there's a couple, but neither one of them, I, I don't know if they're just poorly made or they can't convey what Huxley did in his writing because he's such a good writer. Yeah. You're, you're that talking it, about the movie adaptations of this book. Uh, right. Movie adaptations of Brave New World. Which one did you find to be the best? Because there's two that I know of. I saw there, one, there's two. I saw there's, one that came out in 1980, and I watched about the first 10 minutes. I was it was like, terrible. Yeah, what? bell bottoms afro. Yeah, I was like, it was, I can't. This is not futuristic. Yeah, that's the BBC version, and I, you know that's the better version. It is. Oh, it's it's, it's more. Okay. It's more consistent with the with the okay. book. Okay. The more modern one is definitely more science fiction and stuff like yeah. that. But it's just they reorder the timeline in the in the BBC version where they actually start with Linda, yeah, oh, okay. and Tomkin going to the. Savage to the, to the reservation, New Mexico. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, and and so they start there, as opposed to and and I think that's from Brave New World Revisited. I haven't read that yet, but um, but yeah, they start there and then it, it's like a four hour long. Really? Yeah. yeah I mean, and wow. you can find it all on YouTube. Oh, cool. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, neither one of the movies I think could adequately paint the picture that he wrote. Mm-hmm. Which is why books will never go away. Thankfully. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just your you mind's can, eye is always the best. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see any correlations between what Huxley writes and kind of our modern society? Since he's throwing you in there, jarring you, what specifically is, is it that's jarring you that relates to our, our our modern world right now? Well, you know, we've already talked about the uh, the availability of of painkillers and, and you know things like that you know drugs that kind of thing but one thing that, that just came to mind as we were talking just a second ago was uh, this idea that contraception is a right that has been embodied in our culture yeah. this uh, you know the, the it's it's like a human right to have access to contraception now and you know in Huxley's day that would have been abominable to, to even talk about such things. But now it's just second nature for people to think that somehow because there is such a thing as contraception, yeah. that, that everybody must have it made, uh, not just 
not just available to them to, to be able to purchase it at a reasonable price, but free, like given to them for free. Yeah, I remember having a conversation with somebody a couple of years ago, and it was when government was deciding to pull back on its funding for Planned Parenthood. And I was talking about it, and this is a, a family member of a friend uh, of ours, and we were talking about it, and she said, oh no, where am I going to get my birth control? I was like, well, you're going to pay for it is what you're going to do. <laughs> I didn't say in quite those terms, but I was like, why should... Why should you be getting it for free when everybody, when I'm having to pay for for that? Like my taxes are going to you getting a, a free load for you to act in any way that you want. So she was worried about where she was going to get access to that. Yeah. And that, so. that just goes into the fact that any time that the government does subsidize anything, it, it becomes in the minds of those who who receive that subsidy, it becomes a right yeah. to them yeah. in their minds. Yeah. And, and that's what makes it so hard to reverse government subsidies is because, yeah. you know, it, it becomes part of the, the framework of how people just think. You know, it's just, this is something that, that's owed to me. Yeah, they wouldn't know how to function without it. Worshipping idols to fulfill our entitlement issues Addicted to the feeling we get when we get what we want so we pick and we choose Even the air we breathe is a gift we receive that we think we're entitled to Even the air we breathe is a gift we receive that we think we're entitled to They say you get what you deserve so we work hard to earn it Earn as much as we can to determine our self-worth and purpose Identified by what we buy, it's a sad state of affairs And when we die we lose it all and just lay there naked and bare But none of this stuff can cover us No, it never was enough for us Nothing we can work for to obtain can wash away the stain The only thing we're entitled to is judgment for the life we let there's nothing we can hide behind in the end we need grace instead yeah you'll see any others Jason do you see any yeah, the, correlations it, towards the beginning it's pretty early they talk about uh, population control mm-hmm. and dealing with disease and now everyone's happier like now everything's perfect so everyone's happier not like the old days you know before R4 and things like that and I was just thinking about the modern Ebola outbreak the world if that would have happened in the world of um, I, I don't even think there's a, there's a name of this world but Huxley's Brave New World if that would have happened there they would have just eradicated you know that, that part of Africa because they didn't want that disease spreading to everyone else they would have just got rid of them I don't even think there's there's portions of the book where they they talk about their ancestors, which would be like us, saying like what well, they were too polite to deal with overpopulation or deal with diseases like that of getting rid of people who were sickly and old and yeah. things like that. But 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 now now you hear that and you know you listen to political news and they're talking about yeah getting getting rid of old people because they're a burden a nuisance mm-hmm. uh, they're not contributors to society yeah. and uh and it really takes away of well but they're in the, in the image of god you know you don't, they don't gain their value of, because of how productive they are which is what this book is there's a lot well the, ford comes up a lot because ford is the one who founded the um what's it called the, the system assembly line assembly line yeah so productivity and things like that so yeah. if you're not productive well, you don't belong in this world, you yeah. know, and that, and unfortunately, that is, that ethic is already creeping up in here in a lot of yeah. aspects, you know, like. And I don't know if you know this, but a lot of people in the West, and even in America, were actually um, in favor of the Nazi Party and a lot of and eugenics and the things that were going on, oh, right. the experiments that they were conducting, and Henry Ford was one of them. 
Really, I yeah. didn't know that. I didn't know that. And we had we also had that. we also had Margaret Sanger and yeah, quite a few really. others that were calling for uh, eugenics. You know, pure race, population yeah. control, pure pure race. Um, you know the. You know they they looked at they looked at black people as apes. You know they looked at poor people as a blight on society that needed to be done away with. That they should not be able to pro- procreate. That's why you know whenever you go to black neighborhoods, the the majority of Planned Parenthoods, uh, Planned, yeah. Planned Parenthoods and, and abortion clinics are in you know the poor neighborhoods. They're in the black neighborhoods. You know, and we're not saying anything about black people specifically. We're saying that th- those. Companies that are moving in there are taking advantage mm-hmm. of those neighborhoods. Yeah. And it's part of the original vision by Margaret Sanger and yeah. others yeah. that they want to they eradicate society yeah. of these lower class people, yeah. these lower races. Yeah, so yeah, she'd definitely be excited to read this book and see and be like, oh, that's a good feature. That's what we need. That's what we need. Well, we, we just need the alphas, really. I guess we can have the betas and all of them to yeah. please well, everybody's all of us. Needed. Yeah. Everybody's yeah, needed. Yeah, yeah. everyone's needed for some purpose. Yeah. But. Yeah. That, that's, that's something that, that struck me also is really in Huxley's Brave New World, it's a capitalist society. And here's what I mean is you've got these lower castes mm-hmm. are producing something they're working oh, okay. they're making stuff the alphas are the ones kind of controlling and doing the yeah. the intellectual they're doing all the thinking they're yeah. conditioning yeah. them but right. also they're being conditioned as well but you know one of the big things is if you know if your clothes get holes in it just buy something new mm-hmm. there's a there's this yeah, uh, consumption so, this yeah. consumeristic I, and I'm not equating capitalism with consumerism um, but there is this capitalist element that you're producing this group is needed to produce this capital mm-hmm. so that this group can produce it. So there's there's this um, controlling of supply and demand. Mm-hmm. So they're controlling the mind to want the supply and these people are, are to uh, create the demand and these people are creating the supply so that even the, the capitalist and con- the consumer is driving... Uh, the market, so even the market's controlled. Yeah, and it's and 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 they, the brave new world is in a sense. I'm doing air quotes here. Brilliant because they go well. The people who are the lower uh, cast, yeah. uh, he uses that term cast, like the gammas, things like that. Yeah. They um, they're happy and satisfied doing just that work. They don't want to be in an upper cast. Mm-hmm. You know, where a lot of people now are like, oh well, we want to live the American dream and move up. Like, no, they've 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 so conditioned them to where they're like. No, we don't want to be alphas. They, they got to do all the thinking and this and that. Like we are happy working for yeah. them and serving yeah. them, and, yeah. and and so so everyone they've made everyone happy in, in the cast they're at. Which yeah. is, I think that's part of maybe the British uh, element of this. You know, that Huxley was from Great Britain, and so they had kind of this aristocracy, and they still do. I mean, they've they've always had this aristocracy within British life, and so he's kind of looking at this and. And he's saying, okay, so what if that was just kind of like imbibed? You know, what if that was just a genetic thing that, that was forced upon the people and, and it was forced not just through genetics but also through conditioning? And, uh, and, and you know, so they, you do kind of see this caste system but also at the same time. And I think that's why for so many years India was, was able to coexist as, as a, uh, a colony of England is because of the fact that they, that they in, 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 in their religion and Hinduism, there's the caste system, and then there in England, they have the aristocracy. 
And so he kind of sees this, whereas in America, you go to America, and what's in America? In America, you have the reservation, mm. right? And it's all, you know, uh, savages, savages and, yeah. and, you know, Wild Wild West and that yeah. kind of thing, yeah. you know? And you don't, I mean, there, there's still alphas and that kind of thing, but, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's interesting to see how he envisions it. I think as Americans, we would envision it way different. We Probably, wouldn't yeah. see the different classes or anything like that. I don't know. Yeah. I might be surprised. I think there's a growing and growing gap between the rich and the poor. Mm-hmm. And middle class now tends to be closer to the lower class than the upper class. Mm-hmm. There's this threshold that you that you reach that you have to work really hard in order to be considered upper class. But most of us are closer uh, to being lower class than we are to being upper class. But how much is that to do with uh, capitalism and, and, you know, economics and how much of it is to do with, you know, like societal engineering by the government? You know, I would argue that because the government is trying to tinker with all of this yeah. and trying to engineer it in a certain way. Yeah. But then again, you remove government from it and you make it laissez-faire capitalism where there's no controlling factor, then I think yes. you have an even worse problem. Yeah. So, you know, you have to have a, a type of capitalism that's tempered by religion tempered by a certain under, understood uh, morality. Yeah. So. Something else I was noticing is um, the moral aspect of everything. Oh, yeah. And mostly in, in, in Huxley's Brave New World Revisited, he talks about hypnopedia. Mm-hmm. And he's basically saying uh, that what they learned in Brave New World is that instructional uh, hypnopedia is ineffective. So what they learned is to produce morals through hypnopedia. My, one of my questions was, you know, in Brave New World, it's the government doing it. Yeah. How does the American society produce this hypnopedia for moral instruction? The arts, movies, music, you know. Yeah, yeah there's, there's a one popular song right now that is, uh, I heard on the radio, and my, my wife told me about it, and it's it's a guy basically singing about morals, of, of why it's okay, like, how can you say I'm, I'm not born like this, and how can you say I, I love her, she keeps me warm at night, you know, it's a girl singing it or something like that, yeah. or that part of the chorus, and uh, and it, I mean, it, it messes with your emotions, because you're, you, you would, it makes you feel bad for well, no, that's wrong because but because she's like, how can you say that? Like, this is love. This is how I feel. Like, this is these are my feelings. That's that's all I got. You, you can't take that away from me. Like, yeah. surely this is how God made me, right? It's just like, and that's how they change morals and ethics. Is yeah. I, I think that's one way. Is just popular media, arts, things like that. Yeah. yeah. I, I would argue, you know, media, just media in general as well. You know. Um, we have freedom of the press in America, but the freedom of the press does not necessarily mean um, a free press. Like that, that everything's going to to have equal say or anything like that. We wouldn't want to live in a society where everything had equal say anyway. So it's kind of a catch twenty two when it comes to the press, where you know you don't you don't want a government to step in and say, okay, if you talk about this for thirty minutes, you have to talk about its opposite for thirty minutes. We have been at that point before yeah. in radio yeah that, that, that was a thing a couple of years ago that was, yeah that almost happened to radio yeah and and so we we need to be careful not to do that, but at the same time, if something like that's not in place, and I'm not arguing that it should be, but if something like that's not in place, 
then you also run the, the error of, you know, having multiple news outlets out there that just that just report what they want to report. And so you have politicians out there that, that use that as their, their bully pulpit. And the the sad thing is is you know, a lot of the politicians I I would agree with on a lot of issues are they they don't have the same conviction that I would I would have or that I would want them to have. And so what they do is they'll they'll go on they have access to major media, but they don't they don't argue for you know these things. They they're, they're not willing to use it as a bully pulpit the way that the other side is willing to use it as a bully pulpit. I think that's where I think we're losing the battle as a culture. We just we look at it and we say, okay, this is the direction that the society is going, and therefore we need to go that way, as opposed to this is the the way that the society is going. Therefore, we need to use every outlet possible to try to argue for our side because the left is always doing that. The other side is always arguing their case. They're using every avenue possible to argue for their case. And I think that that you know, speaking of the arts, you know, I just got through watching a movie last night. We were talking about that, and you know, Christians I think shoot themselves in the foot whenever they make horrible movies. You know, whenever they they go into the the world of the arts. And they make a movie that has a really good message, but it's a horrible movie. And they don't, they don't try to put any effort into making it um, uh, aesthetically appealing or, you know, making it, you know, it, like making it, Christ- making it, you know, appealing at all to the world. And so I think that, you know, when it comes to the arts, I think we could take better strides at, at putting out better art as Christians as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, sorry. <laughs> no, it's... That's good. I, I was I was thinking, you know, one of the other things that I'm seeing is not just pop culture, but commercialism is I mean, the advertising world, uh, and even on you know the Foxes and CNNs and MSNBCs is you only have a certain period of time hmm. to get your point across. So what you have to do is get the bullet points. Yeah. So everybody's just regurgitating the bullet point instead of actually thinking about their position. So I think that's a way that hypnopedia comes about. It's all you're hearing is uh, on the immigration issue, if you're on the right, here's your bullet points. Here's and your that's catchphrase. All, that's all you talk about. On the left, here's your bullet points, and that's all you talk about. Same you know, same with uh, feminists and the right to choose. Well, it's my body. I have the right to choose. Well, no. <laughs> There's another body inside your body that you created when you made that choice. Well, Time's already up. You already took too long. Yeah. You wouldn't cut off. So yeah. You got to make that argument shorter nowadays. Or you know, somebody would interrupt me and, that's mean. You can't talk like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, it, so. it, it, it turns emotional. Yeah. They, people right. don't have time to argue. So, like, even if we, even if people have good arguments and and the time to do it, yeah. well, is the people we want to hear that, are they going to, yeah. can they sit down for more than five minutes or more than a minute, you know, and hear yeah. it? Or can they, can they read more than a tweet? And, you know, yeah. Bernard, one of the main characters in Brave New World, he's a he's a hypnopedic expert, mm. right? And so, like, somebody will say something, a, a, a hypnopedic statement. They'll make a hypnopedic statement, and in his mind, or kind of off to the side, he'll murmur, you know, how many times a, a day that that's yeah. repeated, you know, and for how many years they hear it in their yeah. sleep, you know. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, for, for all of the news that we receive on these major news channels, the 24-hour news, 
If you were to sit down and watch 15 minutes of Fox News or 15 minutes of CNN or 15 minutes of MSNBC or CNBC or whatever, if you were to sit down and watch 15 minutes of it, you would get pretty much everything that they're going to talk about for that day. Yeah. They just repeat it over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred times a day for five days, you know, you know <laughs> it, it, it's just like, it, it, and that's where we're at, Yeah, you know, because there, there's just not enough news to fill up 24 hours. So we're just going to repeat it over and over and over again until it gets drummed in the, re, in the, the watcher's mind or the listener's yeah. mind. And that's why, you know, I really appreciate uh, some talk show hosts. I won't, I won't name any in particular, but some talk show hosts that really try to go out of their way on talk radio to, to, to put something out there that nobody else is talking about. You know, because, you know, so, so oftentimes what nobody else is talking about is what everybody should be talking about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but who listens to that? <laughs> like, not enough people. Even the, and when you talk about, yeah, I listen to this, there's already that, oh. You're fringe, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, Ooh. that's fringe stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you listen to him? Yeah. You're a wacko. <laughs> or, or, like, you really yeah. care too much. So, just need to have fun. Relax. So take, take soma. Take a soma. <laughs> take a soma. There you go. Take a little soma holiday. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, our family and our cultures. Two grams for a weekend. Yeah. That's right. A gram is better than a damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see? And everybody knows that the next best thing to do is that word clean. clean. Yeah. <laughs> nobody's gonna get it. <laughs> We both said it's so unsure. What, what's, the, what's the longest river in Egypt? I don't know. Oh, it, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He couldn't get it. Yeah, yeah. If he sang it in the jingle, he knew, but he, yeah. he didn't really know. Yeah, yeah that, that was a fascinating part of that book. Yeah. Where, where they're doing the hypnopedia, and the kid knows, that he, he learned the phrase, the yeah. longest river in Egypt is the Nile. But then if he just asked him, what's the longest river in Egypt? He's like, I don't know. And he's like, the longest river, and then he could repeat it, and Egypt is the Nile. But he, he didn't actually yeah, know what's it. What's interesting, though, is, and I wonder, I wonder, this makes me wonder, I need to go back and read Aldous Huxley's bio mm-hmm. to see, like, if he was maybe raised in a catechetical home. Because this is exactly, you know, when oh, you're right. catechizing your yeah. children... You know, you have to do that with them. You have to give them the first word of the answer sometimes, mm-hmm. or the first yeah. couple words before. Oh, yeah, 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 and, then, and they'll be able to yeah. to repeat it back to you. You know, and, and in a way, we are conditioning our children whenever it comes to catechesis. But it's important for us to do that. So yeah. I guess I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take over the podcast real quick. Okay, um, why is it okay to catechize our children and condition them re- uh, religiously? But it's wrong for this society to condition their children through hypnopedia. Well, there's two things. And the family unit is kind of the structure that God mm-hmm. has created to instruct. You know, the parents teach the children, and the children are to respect the authority that's been put over them. And In this world, that's gone, though. No family. Yeah. Right. In this world, it's the government yeah. does that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's one reason that that's wrong. But... Um, I think it's a right thing to do to instruct and to catechize. In this world, they never move beyond that grammar stage, Mm. and they never own it for Mm -hmm. themselves. We want with our children for them to actually own the information and to to not just rehearse uh, or regurgitate back the answers. We want them to truly believe and think about the answers. Mm -hmm. And that was another one of my questions is, how should we think of memorization? Mm-hmm. Catechesis. Memorization is good. The Bible instructs us to, to meditate on God's law. Yeah. But a part of meditation is thinking about right. um, 
what is written for yep. them. They don't think about it. It's just, mm-hmm. that's how it is. Don't think about it. Because with Bernard, when he started to question those things, people were like, yeah, you're weird. You, yeah. yeah, it's true. They put alcohol in your in yeah. your blood. They mess you up and then yeah. they ink, ink you, you know, the tubes and all that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that, that is something interesting. And that's, I think, I mean, I'm, I assume we all do that with our kids. You know, we, we want to hide God's word in our heart. But yeah, like you said, we want to meditate on it. We want to chew on these things. We want to, okay, well, why is this so? Like, so what are the implications that, okay, you, you just repeated back to me, God made me. He made me, you know, for his glory. Huh. Well, what are the implications that God made you? And then you talk about the creator, creature, just, you know, it's like, well, we're going through that right now with my kids. It's, you know, so they have it memorized, but now we want to think through it. Well, how does this impact you? Okay, you got it. You know, yeah, you get a little pat on the head, but mm-hmm. how does this, you, seven-year-old child, you, my four-year-old, how does it, what does that actually mean for you? And that's what we yeah. want to do is, uh, and that's, that's, that should be the end of catechetical instruction, that they, they own it, that they understand it, you know, and then, and then hopefully that they would, you know, bow the knee and live that out in obedience as well. You know, yeah, that grace. it's not just knowledge, that it's right. trust. Yeah, yeah. I think you have to ask the question, too, what is catechism? What is catechesis? You know, a catechesis is uh, is worldview shaping. You're shaping somebody's worldview. Yeah. And in that sense, there is no such thing as the uncatechized child. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So the the question is is not is my child going to be catechized, but who is going to catechize my child? Yeah. If it's not going if it's not going to be you, if you're not going to condition your child, if you're not going to teach them the right questions to ask about these very important issues, somebody is. The government, somebody's the culture, teach them parts, like, yeah, everything, arts, everything we talked about, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're telling them what questions to ask. Yeah, they hear that song like, oh, well then, if this makes me feel good, why don't I do it? And then they're going to start applying that to other aspects of life, unless you deal with that. Cheryl Crow, if it makes you happy, it can't yeah. be that bad. Right, yeah, right? yeah, exactly. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Sorry about that. Edit that. <laughs> yeah, like you wouldn't tell, well, at least now you wouldn't tell an adult man that he can't love little children because that's what makes him happy. Uh, according to Cheryl Crow, yeah, according there. to Cheryl Crow, well, it makes you happy, so do it. Right, right, right. Well, now it's just an ick factor. That's kind of gross. Well, for now, for now, it's going to go away. But yeah, there's so already, homosexuality used to have an ick factor. Yeah, but now it's well, now it's not pedophilia; it's pederasty. Like it's a softer. Right. Well, the argument that's being made now, especially with the the Utah ruling, you know, the polygamy ruling. It's not. It's no, now. It's no longer. You know, uh, just arguing for homosexual marriage, but it's, it's consenting adults. Yeah. It's consenting adults, yeah. which then you can factor in. It's just consent. Just consenting period. parties. Yeah. So then you can factor in. Okay. Well, you know, my, uh, you know, you have a fifty-year-old man and his twenty-six-year-old daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, they're both consenting adults. What's wrong with them getting married? Yeah. You it's know? gross. Yeah, well, yeah. According to our society. Yeah. Now. Right now. Eventually, that would go right away, now. though. Yeah. yeah. The, the searing of the conscience and the ick factor yeah. going away. And, yeah. No. Yeah. So, last question. We'll try to wrap up with this one. Um, what do you make of um, Huxley's use of Ford in the place of Lord? Mm. You know, the first time I read this, like I was saying last podcast, I, it didn't... I mean, I had a Christian upbringing. I wasn't a Christian at the time. And it, I just kind of read through it. Like, oh, whatever. And now reading through it, I'm like, man, okay, this is so offensive. This is so blasphemous. This is like, yeah. the society has gone, you know, 
R4, yeah, I, I actually wrote down some of the different ways it says it. R4, they make the sign of the T instead of like the crucifix, like a yeah. Catholic. O4, R Ford's day, they even talk about it in the book. From the mouth of Ford himself, suffer the little children, his Ford ship, Ford speed. I mean, all that stuff. It's yeah. just, it's, it, uh, it's, it's obviously pointing to the fact that Ford is looked at as the great deity, the great yeah. being who's given us all life and, you know, we... We live according to his standards, which are all these backward standards. You yeah. Know? So it's well, yeah, the the Model T, like you're saying, yeah, making the, the sign T. of the T. Yeah. That was the first um, first vehicle produced on the assembly line, right? Which is all about quantity and quality yeah. and all yeah. that, you know. Yeah. Um, and also, isn't there a place called Charrington Cross Station in England now? I, I would have to oh, look this up, but he even changes it to Charing T. Oh, really? Charing T Cross Station. That's funny. Or just Charing T Station. Like, cross is taken out and yeah. T is replaced. Yeah. I don't know if anybody picked up on that, but I, I saw know. that. was like, He's even taking cross out there. Mm, they knock off the top of the cross and all the right. churches, and it's a T. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, convenient. Yeah. convenient. Yeah. So Ford becomes God. Basically. In their minds. Yeah. The, yeah. The, um, the, the leader of modern industry and technology and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. It just goes back to the fact that, you know, human beings are made to be worshiping beings. And yeah. even somebody like Huxley recognizes that. Yeah. yeah. We, I mean, yeah, I, I, we, we will worship something. Right. It's just the question is, what, what will it be? Yeah. And so even a society like the Brave New World, the world state, you yeah. know, as I've heard it referred to, even they have to create or put something in the place of God mm-hmm. in yeah. order for people to, to, proper, to exist as they're, as they're meant to exist. Yeah. And so then you you go from your Christian names um, to being like the use of even the use of the names in the book mm-hmm. is you have these communist names and Lenin, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lenin, yeah, Bernard Marx, mm-hmm. um, even Freud is mentioned in there. Freud, yeah. even their um, the Bukhanovsky. I forget what the reference is to book. Oh, he, he was the one who, who developed the, the hatchery. The, 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 the hatchery, the, right. The way that they could have out of yeah. one egg, 80 yeah. something babies. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and His also, yeah. and also the Malthusian belt. Cause Thomas Malthus was the guy who was warning of overpopulation. Um, so you have the Malthusian belt is controlling the population. So like the prophets, right. Uh, are, you know, the communists and, and, um, Stuff like that. So even the use of names uh, changes. Same with Ford. So God made the automobile and modern society. Really interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. <laughs> well, that is great beginning conversation. The book, uh, the, these same themes are going to develop throughout the book. Uh, so we're, we're looking forward to, to talking about that next time. We'll get into chapters four through seven. With that said, we'd like to wrap up our podcast by inviting everyone to check us out on Facebook and Twitter and uh, check out our website, credocovenant.com. Shoot us an email, credocov at gmail.com. And also give us a five-star review on iTunes. And as we've said before, if you have a bad review, send us an email. (laughs) Don't don't rate us on there. Uh, Send us an email. We'll... We'll deal with you that way. Uh, we'll probably, deal with you? Yeah. We'll delete it. Listen <laughs> to the resolution. Savage. Iceland. So thanks for listening to the Credo Covenant Fellowship, where we seek to enter the cultural conversation from a Reformed Baptist perspective. We'll see you all next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.